People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book, Stephen Kravitz here, and I've got a full, full, full show. I've got so many books to mention and a number of them to give away. Just to start off the show, because I've spoken about it for the last two weeks, and I don't think you can have a book show in South Africa without mentioning Jacques Poe's The President's Keepers, published by NB Books, Nas Booker. Um, the, the, the news that's been made by the book this week is that Cyril Ramaphosa was spotted in Parliament uh, with the book and he was reading it. He says he's re- he is reading the book and uh, a number of commentators, I think all of us, it goes through our minds that it seems that everybody who is in a compromised position because of uh, Jacob Zuma's corruption and his appointing of people to positions where they will protect him and they will there and they will also um, feed at the trough and make the most of their ride on the the over the overladen gravy train these people are not investigating all the allegations that the book's made. The only allegation that has been started because the book has come out is, well, two. One, to issue legal letters to the publishers and the author of the book. And the other one is is a, a, a campaign to find out who in the different government departments, SARS, the NPA, the Hawks, was leaking information to Jacques Poe. Yeah, so the, the, the irony is in the face of blatant, blatant, blatant illegal activities, the only people who are being investigated are those who are delivering the message to the South African public. They now possibly face criminal procedures, uh, criminal charges, but the real criminals in power are being let off the hook. If you haven't got the book, you might have to put your name on a waiting list at one of the bookshops because it is sold out. I think they're looking at possibly 70,000 copies that have been sold or printed to date. But it is one of those books that as a, as a citizen of a country, you, you, your civic duty is to know exactly what is going on so that comes time for the next election, you are in a very, very good position to to make that right decision. I'm just trying to think, why doesn't parties like the DA or the IMF or EFF use the allegations in the book and make absolutely brilliant campaign adverts? This is what they did. This is what we will do differently. That type of message should get out to the South African public. And then in this line of political books, in two weeks' time, I will be interviewing Zapiro here on the radio because his new book, which is Hasta la Vista Gupta, Hasta la, Hasta la Gupta Baby, that is coming out. It's a collection of all of his books, all of his well, his, his most important cartoons over the last year, starting in uh, November, December, October, November, December 2016, and going all the way through to October 2017, including his cartoon, The Rape of South Africa, that has been criticized the most. But if you read a book like The President's Keepers, a cartoon like that actually looks tame in comparison from what really is being done to our country. Now, 
for today's show, I've got a lot of books that I'm going to talk about and a lot of books that we're going to give away. Today is I'm starting to uh, to I'm starting to repay our loyal listenership with giveaways, so you can have books to read on your holidays. And the books that I'm going to discuss and mention, and the books that I'm going to give away, they're all being posted on the Facebook page. So go to Facebook, search for people on the book on 101.9 Chai FM, and you'll see all the books that I'm going to talk about. I'll try post pictures of the covers of all of these books uh, over the weekend. So you'll be, you'll be extra familiar with the cover of the books when you go into the bookshop. Now, the first one I'm going to start off with, it's really the 17th of November. School holidays are just around the corner. So I thought, let's talk about a kid's book because we're all going to have children at home. And what better way to spend your holiday than immersed in a book and practicing all your literary skills and your literacy and uh, enjoying yourself as well. And it's always a big mission to try to find the, the, the big next kid's book. And I think uh, I've, I've, we've managed that here on the show. Uh, because the next big book in kids' publishing, this is the 8 to 13 market. But the truth is, the book I'm going to talk about, I read to my 6 and my 9-year-old. And not only did they both love it, I also looked forward to reading time together every single night. My kids would often prefer to listen to this book being read than play on a device or watch a DVD. The book is called Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow. The author is Jessica Townsend. She is an Australian. She grew up on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, but she has spent a lot of time in London. And when you read the book, you will see how her life in London inspired aspects of this of this of this of this novel and she writes a book that is on a par with the first Harry Potter book in terms of the pool of the attraction uh, of the, of the characters the, the 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 whole good evil um tussle the absolute creativity of the whole setting, the beauty, the charm, and also just like the Harry Potter books, there's this urgent plot that just pulls you through and is evil and there's good and there's charm. Nevermore is set in two worlds. Um, neither of them is ours. It starts off in the Republic, which is a world that is similar to ours, but there seems to have been quite a bit of dystopia introduced into this st standard world in which Morrigan lives. She lives in a town called Jackalfax, and her father is the, the senior politician of the town. But Morrigan Crow is a cursed child. We're living in a world where there are ages, and an age will run for about 12 or 13 years. And at the end of one age, in the beginning of the next, you have a, a, a one-day transition, and that's called eventide. And any child born on eventide is a cursed child, and they are blamed for everything that goes wrong in their town or their city. And Morrigan Crow is an eventide child. And it's known that all eventide children will die on the next eventide. Morrigan Crow has another two years to go before eventide, but very, very suddenly, the age that she's living in comes to an end, and she's got 
very, very short amount of time left to live. She's a cursed child and she's going to die. And on her 11th birthday, when her family, who have always blamed her for everything that's gone wrong, not only in their family, but in the whole town where her father's the senior politician, they're having the last supper, which is a very morbid meal with her. And all of a sudden, a gatecrasher comes to the party, a tall, very colorful, extremely interesting character called Jupiter North, who informs the family that he is taking Morrigan with him, and they leave. And Morrigan escapes a terrible danger that all even-tired children have to face called the Hunt of Smoke and Fire. And she enters with Jupiter North a parallel world called Nevermore. And Nevermore is part of the free state. It's a town. It's, a, it's the main city in the free state. It's a parallel universe. And then Nevermore, uh, Nevermore is the beginning of Morrigan Crow's trials. There are four trials. Very exciting. But you don't know exactly why this one even tired child was saved. Why is there so much interest in Morrigan Crow? And what trials does she have to get through? And the whole way through the book, we have this very, very creative, very imaginative setting. And we have constant dangers dogging Morrigan Crow. It is absolute, charming, charmingly, beautifully told. It is an absolute pleasure to read Nevermore. It's the type of book that your children will lose themselves in. And unfortunately, they'll finish it within two or three days and then beg you to find something as good. So Jessica Townsend is the toast of kid publishing at the moment, children's publishing. She's an Australian. She is so inundated with requests for interviews that when I put through a request myself, I was told she just can't catch her breath, maybe when things settle down. But at the same time, this is the first in a series of books. So as much as we wanted to catch her breath, we also wanted to start working on the second and then the third book in the series because they are just, this one is just, if it's a taste of what's to come, Anyone who reads Nevermore is in for that Harry Potter style, um, absolute adventure ride, roller coaster ride through absolutely brilliantly imagined um, worlds and great, great, great narrative urgency. So that's the first book. Now, the first book that I'm going to give away, this is um, Tom Hanks' book called Uncommon Type. And Tom Hanks. Is the all this is the, the 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 actor Tom Hanks, but he has written a collection of short stories, a hectic. And this is this is this is a, a broad uh, a brief overview of com, uh, uncommon type, a hectic, funny affair between two best friends, a World War Two veteran dealing with his emotional and physical scars, a second-rate actor plunged into sudden stardom, and a whirlwind press junket. A small-town newspaper columnist shares his old-fashioned views of the modern world. A woman adjusting to life in a new neighborhood after her divorce. A rocket ship constructed in a backyard takes four friends to the moon and back. A teenage surfer stumbles into his father's secret life. These are just some of the people and situations that Tom Hanks examines in his first work of fiction, a collection of stories that explores with great affection, humor, and insight the human condition and all its foibles. The stories are linked by one thing. In each of them, 
a typewriter plays a part, sometimes minor, sometimes central. Known for his honesty and sensitivity as an actor, Tom Hanks brings both these characteristics to his writing. Uncommon Type is a book that will delight as well as surprise his millions of fans. It also establishes him as a welcome and wonderful new voice in contemporary fiction. This is Tom Hanks' Uncommon Type. We're giving the book away. It's a, it's a beautifully produced book. It is short stories. All you have to do is SMS or WhatsApp us with your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading. The SMS number is 010-140-4090. That's 010-140-4090. And WhatsApp, our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. That's 061-895-1019. You can also SMS us on 34519. That's the old number, 34519. First person through who hasn't won a prize in the last three months will then be the winner and our office will contact you. So that's Tom Hanks' Uncommon Type and I'm giving away books now to reward and to thank our listeners who've been listening to our show for the last, the last, so the last, the last year. I also want to just mention that this is a live broadcast on Friday, and if it's replayed, obviously the giveaways don't apply. So if you're listening to this on Friday, the 17th of November, 2017, now enter the enter the prize, enter for the prize. Otherwise, if you listen to a rebroadcast, it's not going to be uh, available. There's, the the prizes would have already been won. The next book that I want to talk about, because we also we mentioned the South African book of the year, which was The President's Keepers by Jacques Poe. There's another book that if Jacques Poe's book hadn't come out would have been the South African book of the year. Um, but but it, it's this book is um, has been eclipsed by Jacques Poe. It's Nelson Mandela's second uh, second book uh, in his autobiography. But obviously, Nelson Mandela didn't finish the book. It was finished by Mandla Langa, and it's called Dare Not Linger, The Presidential Years. And it's the follow-up, it's the sequel to Long Walk to Freedom. This is what we are told. In 1994, Nelson Mandela became the first president of a democratic South Africa. From the outset, he was committed to serving only a single five-year term. During his presidency, he and his government ensured that all South African citizens became equal before the law and laid the foundations for turning a country riven by centuries of colonialism and apartheid into a fully functioning democracy. Dare Not Linger is the story of Mandela's presidential years, drawing heavily on the memoir he began to write as he prepared to conclude his term of office, but was unable to finish. Now, acclaimed South African writer Mandla Langa has completed the task using Mandela's unfinished draft, detailed notes that Mandela made as events were unfolding, and a wealth of unseen archive material. With the prologue by Mandela's widow, Grasa Michelle, the result is a vivid and often inspirational account of Mandela's presidency and the creation of a new democracy. It tells the extraordinary story of a country in transition and the challenges Mandela faced as he strove to make his vision for a liberated South Africa a reality. And it is a foreword written by 
Grasa Michelle, which I want to read because it really does set the book in its stream of 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 of, of time and also um, the reason it was written. It was three months after Madiba and I married that he sat down to write the first chapter of what he intended to be the sequel to his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom. A sense of duty to his political organization and the broader struggle for liberation in Southern Africa informed his decision to write Long Walk. And it is a sense of duty to South Africans and to global citizens that energized him as he began the work which has now become De Not Linger. He wanted to tell the story of his years as the first president of a democratic South Africa, reflect on the issues that had occupied him and his government, and explore the principles and the strategies they had sought to apply in addressing the innumerable challenges and the new, the new democracy faced. More than anything, he wanted to write about laying the foundations of a democratic system in South Africa. For about four years, the project loomed large in his life and in the lives of those close to him. He wrote painstakingly with his fountain pen or his ballpoint, awaited comments from trusted associates, then rewrote and rewrote until he felt he could move on to the next chapter or section. Every step was marked by commitment to consultation. I'm particularly grateful to Professor Jake Skirwell and Madiba's personal assistant, Zelda de Lechrangi, who gave him every encouragement and supported the project in multiple ways in this period. The demands the world placed on him, distractions of many kinds, and his advancing years complicated the project. He lost momentum and eventually the manuscript lay dormant. Through the last years of his life, he talked often about it, worried about work started but not finished. I'm reading the prologue that Grasa Michelle wrote to Nelson Mandela and Mandelanga's joint collaboration, their book Dare Not Linger the Presidential Years. The Dema- this book represents a collective effort to complete the project for Madiba. It presents the story he wanted to share with the world, completed and narrated by South African writer Mandelanga with Madiba's ten original chapters and his other writing and thoughts from the period elegantly interwoven. The story has his voice ringing clearly throughout. Mandla has done an extraordinary job of listening to Madiba and responding to his voice authorially. Trusted advisors and members of Madiba's staff during the presidential years also provide comprehensive and richly mediated research, analysis, and preliminary narrativization, and the Nelson Mandela Foundation anchored our endeavor institutionally. I am grateful to all of them and to our publishing partners for enabling us to bring Madiba's dream to fruition. My wish is that every reader will feel challenged by Madiba's story and be inspired to work towards sustainable solutions to the world's multiple intractable problems. The title of the book is drawn from the final passage of Long Walk to Freedom, where Madiba speaks of reaching the summit of a great hill and resting briefly before continuing his long walk. May we all find places of rest but never linger too long on the journey we are called to. Grasa Michelle. This is the book Dare Not Linger by Nelson Mandela and then completed by Mandla Langa, the presidential years. And in many ways, it's also, in my mind, the title is uh, uh, 
it's a, it's a fire shot into the political storm that is South Africa. Dare not linger. You've done your job. Stand by and let others who are capable take the baton of leadership and try and prove the country. We'll be back after this break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are on People of the Book and we are looking at a whole lot of books and we're giving away books. We've looked at um, the, the, the big book in South Africa at the moment. So I've mentioned it now. It's the third week in a row. The President's Keepers by Jacques Poe. We've looked at Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow by Jessica Townsend for kids. And we've looked at Tom Hanks' Uncommon Types, some short stories. And then we looked at Nelson Mandela, Dare Not Linger. That is the, the continuation of Nelson Mandela's autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom. And now it's continued. Uh, he wrote 10 chapters, which were then reworked. And it was completed by Mandela Langer, together with a lot of other, other, other help from the Nelson Mandela Foundation and presidential advisors during his term in office. And it's a very important book filling in all the gaps of South African history. Now, the next book I want to talk about, also this is going to be a giveaway. It's called The Light Keeper's Daughters. A decades-old mystery is visit, revisited by as an elderly woman shares the story of it childhood with a troubled teen. Teenage foster child Morgan Fletcher has been sentenced to completing a term of community service at the senior center she, ta- she tagged with graffiti art. On her first day scraping off spray paint, Morgan meets Elizabeth Livingston, an elderly woman who's still sharp as a tack, but is almost completely blind. A boat belonging to Elizabeth's older brother Charlie has just been found empty and foundering on Lake Superior, the boat was discovered near Porphyry Island, a small island in the Thunder Bay district of Ontario, where she and her siblings were raised. Their father was the lighthouse keeper on Porphyry Island for many years during the early 20th century. Although Charlie is missing, the authorities have recovered journals that belong to their dead father, Andrew, and those books have just arrived for Elizabeth. Unable to read her father's words on her own, Elizabeth looks to the delinquent teenager appearing the fence outside her window. Morgan is quickly drawn in by Elizabeth and her history, spending many hours reading to the old lady instead of hanging around with her deadbeat boyfriend. As Morgan helps Elizabeth solve the puzzles of her past, the two women, young and old, form an unlikely bond that helps Morgan unearth many mysteries about her own life. With each tidbit that Elizabeth discovers from her father's writings, Morgan becomes more desperate for answers about her own past. This is called The Lightkeeper's Daughters by Jean E. Penziwell, and it's a haunting tale of nostalgia and lost chances that is full of last-minute surprises. So once again, to win this book, it's ideal for book clubs, uh, uh, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a very powerful, it's a, it's a great read, not too taxing, but it's a, it's a good read about personal relationships and forgotten or lost histories. So once again, our SMS number is 34519 and, uh, our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. Send your name and your number, uh, your name and the, and the, and the, and the title of the book that you're currently reading 
we'll write them all down. As long as you haven't won in the last three months, we can win one of the many prizes that we're giving away today. Now, the next book that we're going to look at um, is called, let me just get ready. The next one is The Boy Who Saw by Simon Tone. Simon Tone writes almost Dan Brownish thrillers. Uh, his first book was called um, Sanctus. Then his second was The Key and the Third, The Tower. Those three actually create, they were a trilogy centered around the same, the same place in South southern Turkey, lots of conspiracy theories, quite biblically charged, and then he started a new, ser- a new series called the Solomon Creed books and this is the second book in the Solomon, Solomon Creed series but you can, if, if you win it, you can read it, it's a stand uh, even though it's part of a series, it can be read as a standalone and it's uh, it's a very exciting book uh, this imaginative thriller takes roots in the Holocaust and sprouts in modern-day France. Joseph Engel bleeds to death from a star of David that is carved into his chest, and the killer uses Engel's blood to write, finishing what was begun in German on a wall. Engel had been one of four tailors in Die Schneiderlager, the tailor's camp, in a concentration camp. He should have died in the camp 70 years ago, says his killer, one of the men searching for the Anderen, the others, the survivors who for a mysterious reason must all be killed. Enter Solomon Creed, a strange and pigment-free pale man whom the police suspect in the murder. He's a half-functioning paranoid schizophrenic with an off-the-charts IQ, a phenomenal know-it-all mind and no idea who he really is. His only clue is the label inside his perfectly fitted jacket, saying it was made to treasure for Mr. Solomon Creed. He can't remember that it came from the tailors, grateful that he had rescued them from a concentration camp. Those tailors included Joseph Engel. That's because his psychiatrist, Dr. Caesar Magellan of the Institute of Criminal Psychology, has implanted a device in his shoulder to remove toxic memories. Creed goes looking for the man who made his jacket, but he arrives too late. Meanwhile, Engel's granddaughter, Marie Claude, lives with her superhero-loving seven-year-old son, Leo. And apart from her abusive criminal ex-husband, Jean-Baptiste, Creed protects them, and he finds a commonality with Leo. They both have forms of synesthesia. Creed can smell danger while Leo sees emotions as colors in the same way Engel did. To Leo, nice people have bad colors and bad people don't. While Solomon Creed can return 70 years after the Holocaust is a mystery, but it won't bother readers because the pace of the novel just cracks along going very, very quickly over any of these type of questions that we might have. In this book, Brains Beat Brawn, it's an engrossing adventure story, and once again, Tone has delivered a, what we call a high-octane, high-concept thriller, and we're giving the book away. So once again, your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading, uh, SMS number is 34519, and our uh, WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019, and I should say, save those numbers on your phone so that to 
enter competition Yon FM, it's simple. You just go to your contacts and then send us off a WhatsApp or an SMS. So SMS three four five one nine, WhatsApp oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Your name and the title of the book that you are currently reading. And then you can win one of these books that we are giving away. That's The Boy Who Saw by Simon Tone, published by HarperCollins. Once again, all the books that we are mentioning and reviewing on the show today have been posted on our Facebook page. That's People of the Book. You go to Facebook and search for People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. The next book we're going to look at is um, it's a Scandinavian, not crime thriller, a Scandinavian supernatural thriller. The author is Peter Hogue, and his famous his famous book came out 25 years ago, Miss Smiller's Feeling for Snow. And that book came out before anyone knew about this wave of Scandinavian writers. It was uh, uh, like, a, it's like a supernatural spy, uh, thriller as well, not spy thriller, supernatural thriller with interesting things happening deep in the ice of Greenland and conspiracies and science and aliens, and it was made into movies as well. And Peter Hogue has kept his hand at writing. He's viewed more as a literary author. Um, some of his books, The Elephant Keeper's Children, was his most recent one. And now The Susan Effect has just come out, and it is available in the shops at the moment. Um, it's... Not as literary as Miss Smithers' Feeling for Snow. It's got more of a, say, Dan Brownish feel to it. But it is a, it is a, a pretty exciting book. A lot of just escapist um, adventure. But the deeper premise of the novel, environmental catastrophe, is there. And it, uh, it, it anchors the book into something a little bit more serious than just pure Excitement. Now, I was actually quite impressed that The Economist reviewed this book because when I, I read The Economist every week and uh, their, their book review section is very serious. But they reviewed um, The Susan Effect and this is what, what they said. In a summer of nuclear threats and bluffs, a futurist thriller about looming global catastrophe will, will appeal to readers who like their holidays to contain a prickle of dread. Peter Hoch, a Danish author who's still best known for his 1992 bestseller, that's 25 years ago, Miss Miller's Feeling for Snow, takes a circuitous route towards a Hollywood-style showdown in which social breakdown, environmental disaster, and atomic weapons in rogue hands mean that the scenarios of apocalypse are unfolding now. What is more, the venue of this panic attack is serene Copenhagen. The date, December 2018. The world's time, Mr. Hoag insists in his entertaining, if cartoonish, confection is fast running out. Mr. Hoag reverts to the similar model with another spookily gifted heroine, this time Susan Svensson, a quantum physicist. Beyond her maverick genius, Susan has another precious asset. She can draw intimate confessions out of almost everyone she meets, possessing a freakish capacity for empathetic opening. A brisk materialist uh, who thinks that people are small next to physics and interprets love as no more than a Darwinist illusion, she shares a steely detachment with the female sleuths of Nordic noir. After Susan, her composer husband Laban and their teenage twins run into legal trouble in India, an enigmatic Dutch, uh, sorry, Danish official offers a deal. All charges 
will vanish if she can find the final report of a mysterious future commission of youthful superbrains. Established in 1972, this future commission was sidelined as the young prophets began to forecast world events with a predictive precision without parallel. Here, the formulaic fun begins. Susan tracks down the now aging sages only to find that someone is killing them and conspiring to destroy her. As the plot veers towards outright fantasy, the reader learns that Denmark's rulers convinced the end of the world foreseen by the commission is at hand, plan an evacuation of the country's elite to a tropical refuge, a sustainable Atlantis. At the end of this diverting but increasingly outlandish adventure, you wonder when planetary catastrophe will strike. Why have the Scandinavian democracies stable and open beyond compare, become world leaders in sinister tales of high-level conspiracies against truth and justice. For all of Susan Svensson's paranormal prowess, she never quite tells you. So this is the book um, The Susan Effect by Peter Hoch, who is the author of the more than a million copy bestseller Miss Smiller's Feeling for Snow. And uh, we've got winners for the first three books that we've given away. That was Tom Hanks' Uncommon Type, published by William Hahnemann. The Light Keeper's Daughters by Jean E. Penziwell, published by Vadenfeld and Nicholson. And then The Boy Who Saw, publi- uh, by Simon Tone, published by HarperCollins. The next book that we're going to give away is called Sweet Bean Paste. This is a Japanese novel, and it's actually just been made into an internationally acclaimed film. Sentaro has failed. He has a criminal record, drinks too much, and his dream of becoming a writer is just a distant memory. With only the blossoming of the cherry trees to mark the passing of time, he spends his days in a tiny confectionery shop selling dorayaki, a type of pancake filled with with sweet bean paste. But everything is about to change. Into his life comes Toku, an elderly woman with disfigured hands and a troubled past. Toku makes the best sweet bean paste Sentaro has ever tasted. She begins to teach him her craft. But as their friendship flourishes, social pressures become impossible to escape, and Toku's dark secret is revealed with devastating consequences. The author is Durian Sukegawa, She's worked, studied Oriental philosophy at Waseda University in Japan before going on to work as a reporter in Berlin and Cambodia in the early 1990s. He's written a number of books and essays, and he currently lives in Tokyo in Japan. And this is a very heartwarming story. Um, it's published by One World Publishers. One World Publishers are the winner of the 2015 and the 2016 Man Booker Prize. So they generally find brilliant books and then they publish them. So this was obviously a, a Japanese bestseller and they bought the translation rights and now they've introduced it into the English language world. So I want to read at the end of the book. This is Sweet Bean Paste by Durian Sugegawa. He's written an author's note which shows you why he wanted to write this book. 20 years ago, I was a vocalist in a rock band and a late-night radio personality. Young people from all over Japan phoned in to tell me their grievances, sorrows, hopes, and dreams, and in return I often asked my listeners, what is life about? I wasn't asking for an answer. I simply wanted them to think about it. Their replies, however, were always much the same. 
I was born to be a useful member of society. If I can't be that, life has no meaning. This admirable sentiment is much approved of in Japan, but I could never bring myself to give it the nod. I knew a child, the band producer's son, who had died at the age of two, and I had heard about the former Hansen's patients who, by law, had been shut up in sanatoriums and isolated from society for decades long before being cured, long after being cured. That was in Japan. When that unjust legislation was repealed in 1996, the story of Hansen's patients became widely known to the Japanese public. Some lives are all too brief, while others are a continual struggle. I couldn't help thinking that it was a brutal assessment of people's lives to employ usefulness to society as a yardstick by which to measure their value. There has, been a re- there, has be- there has to be a reason for being born, irrespective of individual circumstances. I was thinking about this one evening as I gazed at the thin scattering of stars in the Tokyo night sky when I came to a decision. I would write about the meaning of life with a fresh perspective, in the context of Hansen's disease, which is a type of leprosy. But I was neither a patient nor a medical professional, and much time was to pass before I could begin writing. I met former patients and began to spend time with them in the sanatorium on which Ten Tenshuin is based and where they still live. Often then only then, sorry, only then could I finally assemble the thoughts on which to base my story. I'm reading the author's notes at the end of a book called Sweet Bean Paste. The author is a Japanese writer, Durian Sukegawa, and he's writing why he wrote this book. I began with the concept of a greater force than created human beings, rather than examining human society per se. The idea that we have been nurtured by the universe to prove its existence. If there is no single conscious mind capable of doing this, the existence of the universe itself becomes unverifiable. It cannot exist. Over the eons, the universe has nurtured life forms whose very awareness makes them involved in its continued existence. Hence, we are all alike in having materialized on this earth because that was what the universe so desired. The ill, the bedridden, the children whose lives are over before they've barely begun, all are equal in their relationship to the universe. Anyone is capable of making a positive contribution to the world through simple observation, irrespective of circumstances. This is the idea that Toku expresses when she writes in her letter, We were born in order to see and listen to the world. It's a powerful notion with the potential to subtly reshape our view of everything. So this is Durian Sugigawa's note in this book, Sweet Bean Paste, which is poignant, poetic, and also sensual. And it's been made into a movie. So if you look out for that now, you can find it. To win this, all you have to do is WhatsApp or, WhatsApp or SMS us. The, what, the SMS number is 34519. WhatsApp 061-895-1019. Your name and the title of the book that you are currently reading. Now, the next book that I'm going to look at is a book that came out a few months ago. My wife read it and she said it was... It was a brilliant read. It's called All Our Wrong Todays. It's by debut author Ellen Maste. It's published by Michael Joseph, part of Penguin Random House. And this is a brief overview. Everyone knows to be careful when 
traveling through time because of the possibility of disastrously changing the past. One small misstep could ripple through history with cataclysmic impact on the present. That's the premise behind Elon Musk's amazing debut novel, All Our Wrong Todays. But it explores that old conundrum in fascinating new ways. It all starts when Tom Barron wakes up one morning in 2016 and realizes that he's in the wrong world. He remembers a much better place, a techno-utopian paradise of abundance, purpose and wonder. The world of the Jetsons and all those pulp sci-fi paperbacks of the 1950s and 60s. Hover cars should be zipping across the skies. Billboards should be tailored to your individual interests. People should be happier and healthier. After all, on July 11, 1965, the invention of the Gottrider engine that harnesses the power of the Earth's rotation started a chain of events that solved all our problems. Except that world doesn't exist. It was disrupted by Barron's impulsive decision to use his father's time travel machine to go back to the summer of 65 and witness the birth of Utopia in Lionel Gottrider's laboratory. When the inventor realizes Barron's presence in the room, a series of catastrophes ensues. The engine fails, and with it every wonder of the age. The rest of this dazzling and complex novel involves the protagonist's awakening to his new life. Born not as Tom Barron, but as John Barron, in an alternative present. Here he has a sister, a mother spared from the fatal accident that took her life in the old, in the old world, a more understanding father, and a young woman to love. The story hinges on the tug between these two timelines. Given the chance to go back in time to the same spot, Baron causes yet another disruption, unleashing a much darker world. And the ingenious plot circles and loops across these versions of reality. It is a tale told by an idiot of sorts, affable and witty. Baron has just enough scientific knowledge to be charmingly dangerous. Elan Masta is a screenwriter, and he shows through the twists and turns and the relentless drive of the story his great skill. Most of these 137 chapters are short with a single page, some a single page, and a couple of times a summary of the preceding action reorients the novel in a way that keeps you with the plot the whole time. This is charming storytelling, very, very clever time-driven plot lines and the investigation of time travel and alternative realities. So that is worth looking out for. All Our Wrong Todays by Ellen Mastay, published by um, Michael Joseph. We've got time for a few more books. So we're going to look at um, a book called The Marriage Pact. It has been mentioned on the show before by um, there's Chetty from Penguin Random House who was in the studio quite recently and this is a it's a domestic thriller Alice and Jake newly married in San Francisco make a big mistake in signing up with a secret international cult dedicated to making sure wedding vows do indeed last until death Jake is a marriage counsellor and therapist Alice is a rocker turned corporate lawyer a famous Irish musician represented in a copyright case by Alice's firm is a last-minute invite to their wedding, and it is he who arranges their most peculiar wedding gift, a substantial 
elegant wood box labeled The Pact. Jake is thinking it contains scotch, which would be bad. They met at rehab. But it's worse than that. Inside the box is The Manual, a huge tome in tiny print containing regulations like those of Unit 3.12, Health and Fitness, which specifies that neither married partner may gain more than 10% of what they weigh on their wedding day. Other rules require that couples exchange thoughtful gifts monthly, take a trip together once a quarter, always answer spouse's telephone call and never ever mention the pact to anyone. Also mandatory is timely attendance at the group's parties, meetings and one-on-one sessions. Because Jake fails to carefully read the manual, he's surprised when the penalties for non-compliance start rolling in. For example, at their first weigh-in, they learn extra pounds will constitute a misdemeanor six. After that, things get a little sticky, says a friend, as the group members creepily address each other. You two really need to do your homework. Alice's workaholic tendencies first land her in a non-removable metal cuff bracelet that may contain surveillance technology, but that's a gentle whisper of what's in store for the, for these two. The author, Michelle Redmond, Redmond's novel, will appeal to those with the weakness for, punish, for punishment. Also, fans of unsurprising factoids, like married people of longer than single people, or the best predictor of marriage or success is credit scores, type of things that she's also thrown into the, 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 the novel. This is a thriller, and it's a compulsive thriller. Once you've started, it's difficult to put the book down and to focus your attention on anything else, and then you start worrying about your spouse, and that's exactly what Michelle Richmond is investigating in The Marriage Pact. We'll be back with one more giveaway straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book. We're doing giveaways. I've got one last book to give away now. It's a literary, thrill. It's a literary novel. It's written by Claire Massoud. Claire Massoud is the man, booker, long-listed author of The Woman Upstairs and The Emperor's Children. And this one is, once again, classic uh, Claire Massoud literary, sharp, to the point, very incisive, a novel to set the world on fire. Julia Robinson and Cassie Burns have been friends since nursery school. They have shared everything, including their desire to escape the stifling limitations of their birthplace, the quiet town of Royston, Massachusetts. While Julia comes from a stable, happy middle-class family, Cassie never knew her father, who died when she was an infant, and has an increasingly tempestuous relationship with her mother, Bev. As the two girls enter adolescence, their paths diverge. When Bev becomes involved with the mysterious Anders Shute, Cassie feels cruelly abandoned. Disturbed, angry, and desperate for answers, she sets out on a journey that will put her own life in danger and shatter her oldest friendship. This is Claire Massoud's The Burning Girl. It's an investigation into teenage girl relationship dynamics. Um, similar to the the book last year, um, The Girls, which was one of the, the big debuts of last year. And this book, all you have to do to win it 
SMS or WhatsApp us. The WhatsApp number is 34519. So the SMS number is 34519. The WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. And send us your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading to win this. And just looking at the books that we've given away today, if you wanted to win one of them but you didn't, if the office doesn't contact you after the show, they are all available in bookshops at the moment and the names of all of these books have been posted on our Facebook page. That's go to Facebook, then search for People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM. We looked at the last one, The Burning Girl by Claire Masood, published by Fleet. Then we also gave away Sweet Bean Paste, a Japanese novel in translation by Durian Sugegawa, published by One World. Looked at a conspiracy thriller called The Boy Who Saw by Simon Toyn, published by HarperCollins. Then our deal for book clubs, The Lightkeeper's Daughters by Jean, a. Jean, Jean Pen, Penziwal, published by Vadenfeld and Nicholson. And then very, very famous actor, Tom Hanks, his short book of short stories, Uncommon Type, published by Vadenfeld and Nicholson. And I'm just going to use Tom Hanks to connect to next week's show. Uh, Tom Hanks plays uh, Robert Langdon in the Dan Brown movies. Next week I'll be talking about Dan Brown's new book, uh, Origin. Then books that we, other books that we didn't give away, but we did mention on today's show, The Marriage Pact by Michelle Richmond, published by Michael Joseph. The Nelson Mandela and Mandela Langer book, Dare Not Linger the Presidential Years, Alternative Histories, Time Travel, a Romantic uh, Thinking Person's Book, All Our Wrong Todays by Elan Naste, published by Michael Joseph. Then The Susan Effect by Peter Hoch, uh, a Danish thriller, supernatural thriller in English translation, published by Harvel Secker. And then the kids' book, which I think is going to be the kids' book for the for the December holidays, is Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow by debut author Jessica Townsend, published by Orion Children's Books, and it is absolutely charming. That's our show for today. Until next week, keep reading and good Shabbos.